0: I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground. God help us all as we seek to grow in our prayer lives and our understanding of his word and in our commitment to Jesus Christ and his mission in the world. My name is Hal Brady and I want to welcome you to this ministry tonight. Thank you for joining me as we seek to turn this studio into a sanctuary and worship the living God. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word. It comes from John's Gospel, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, that you may bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me for a moment of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which are thy strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Mark Twain went to Europe along with his wife and 11-year-old daughter. They were entertained by royalty throughout the trip. On the night before they were sailed back to America, Mark Twain read a list of all the celebrities that they had met. After he had mentioned them all, his 11-year-old daughter stuck up her hand and said, Daddy, you must know everybody except God. Connections are important. Often we hear phrases like this. If you know the right people and have the right connections, you can go anywhere and do almost anything Other people will share things like this. It's not what you know, but who you know that counts. As I said, connections are important. What about family reunions? One of the reasons family reunions are important is because when we go, we are reminded that we are connected. It doesn't matter whether we've seen our kin people in a year or not. When we see them, we are reminded we are connected. What about class reunions? Oh, we go to see who's older, who looks older. No, seriously. We go because we want to connect with people who have been a part of our formative years in our living. And what about friendship? Is there anything more important than friendship between peers and friends? How very, very important. Like the other night, I was sitting at a rehearsal dinner, and a lady said to me, I don't see how anybody makes it without friends and without family. Now the whole idea of the Judeo-Christian religion is based on connections. God connecting with people, people connecting with God, people connecting with people. And the whole idea of this is that this is the basis of community. This is also the understanding of the writer of John's Gospel when he says, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The most important thing is that we stay connected to him. Now, if you look at John's gospel, chapters 15 through 17, what's occurring here is Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Gethsemane. They're passing through vineyards. They stop at one vineyard, and Jesus pulls a vine and some branches, and then he says, as an illustration, I am the true vine. Now, Jesus, in this vineyard, classifies three sets of people. First of all, he's there, he is the vine. Then there is the vine grower, the vine dresser, that is his father God. Then there are the branches, that is you and me. We are the ones that are supposed to produce the fruit. Two ladies were discussing their religious background and how religious they were. When one of them finally left, when the discussion was over, the other went to her husband And she said something like this. He had heard the whole thing. She said, Miss Brown is close to God. But she said, I feel that I'm closer. Her husband said, I don't think either one of you are crowding him any. As I said, we are supposed to be the branches. The two of us. We are supposed to be the branches. No question about it. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What? The purpose of the vine is to produce fruit. When Jesus says that he is the true vine, he's not contrasting something that is false. He's contrasting something that is real and genuine with something that is a mere copy, like he's holding the vine that branches in his hand. What he's saying is these are a copy. He says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. That is the key to this. Hear me now. The purpose of the vine is to bring forth fruit. That vineyard is not there for a show, that vineyard is there to produce good fruit. No question about that. So the question arises, what is the fruit? What does it really stand for that Jesus is talking about in this particular parable? The word fruitfulness stands for God's desires and expectations of his covenant people. For instance, the word fruit is in the Bible over 150 times. The word fruitful is there at least 30 times. The authors of the book, Bearing Fruit, they mention three types of fruitfulness that God hopes his people will display. First of all, the fruit of God's expanding reign. When God talked to Moses at Mount Sinai and he gave him the covenant, he was really saying to him, I want my people to be a nation of priests. I want them to be a nation of priests. The idea is that this nation of priests, as they have become holy in the covenant, ...will go out and affect other nations in the world. And they too will gain some from this particular situation. This is throughout the Bible. And then the fruit of righteousness. To know the Lord is to be holy and righteous. A man said when he went to buy a car from John... ...he didn't worry about the car being overpriced... ...or the car being bad. He had known John a long time. And he knew that John was effective in selling cars... This was before Carmack's no haggle situations. John and Kay had a car dealership, and they were always truthful with people and very honest with people. And they would simply say, Tom, this is the price of the car. This is what we can do it for. And the minister said he never worried about the fact that they were friends of his or they had been his parishioners. They just had a solid upbringing in the church. They believed in the teachings of the church. In other words, righteousness, righteousness. And then third, the fruit of justice. God expects us to live in a state of righteousness. And this has more to do than simply occasional generosity or occasional compassion. It means that everybody, God expects everybody to have what he or she needs to have a productive, successful life. But when God expectations, these expectations were not fulfilled in the covenant people. When God came looking for justice and righteousness, he found exploitation. He found oppression. He found all of those injustices. So what did he do next? He sent his son, Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus, the one with whom he is well pleased. Now when Jesus came, in terms of these branches, he was expecting to have moral goodness. Moral goodness, that's what Paul said. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. This is what God expects of us. Now, there was a man named John Woolman. John Woolman was an American. He was a Quaker minister. This was back during colonial America. This particular fellow fought the abolition of slavery. He was against slavery. He was a part of all of that. But yet he was a very gentle man. He refused to be confrontational. He was such a gentle soul that unless he felt God wanted him to say something, he remained silent. Well, in 1858, he gave a sermon to the Quakers. When he finished, he was supposed to stay with a man named Thomas Woodward at his home as a guest. When he went to his house, he was tired and worn out. But when he walked in, there were some servants there. So he asked the background, the status of these servants. He found out they were slaves. He didn't say a word, John Woolman. He just went to bed that night. And in the middle of the night, he got up. He wrote a note to his host and said why he couldn't stay there. And then he went out and paid the servants for what they had done. Now, admittedly, his method was unconventional. But the very next day, Thomas Woodward freed all of his slaves over the disappointment of his wife. He freed every one of his slaves. So, again, the fruit that God desires of us, is character, Christ's likeness. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. The purpose of the vine is to produce good fruit. And then secondly, how? How does this occur? By abiding in Christ. There was a woman who was 86 years of age. This woman was in the hospital. She was dying. She was lonely, but all of her students did not know she was lonely. The only person that went to see her was a pastor, and his visits were very short. So one day when he was leaving, this woman reached out and grabbed her nurse's hand, and she said, don't leave me, don't leave me. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. Jesus is saying that I want to join you and you to join me, and I want you to stay joined to me. And we can hear that in his word in the scripture passage, verses 4 and 5. Listen, he says, abide in me as I abide in you. So we have to see that Jesus is dividing this into two sections. First of all, there's an active section, something we ought to do. Secondly, there's a passive section. We are simply to recognize something. So he says, abide in me. Who is he talking to? He's talking about people who are already in Christ. He's challenging Christians who are already in Christ, people who are seeking to follow him as Savior, and not only Savior but Lord. He's challenging them to stay in Christ. I remember back a few years back, there was a church that came out with some slogans. They put them on signs. One of them was something like this. If you have everything, but you don't have Christ, you have nothing. On the other hand, it said, if you have nothing, but you have Christ, you have everything. People who know Christ will understand that. And then this anonymous poet will also understand that. I had walked life's way with an easy tread, had followed where comforts and pleasures led, until one day in a quiet place I met the Master face to face. With station and rank and wealth for my goal, much thought for my body but none for my soul, I had entered to win in life's mad race when I met the Master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes full of sorrow were fixed on me and I faltered and fell at his feet that day while my castles melted and vanished away melted and vanished and in their place not else could I see but the master's face and I cried aloud oh make me meek to follow the steps of my wounded feet my thought is now for the souls of men I've lost my life to find it again ere since one day in a quiet place I met the master face to face but let's go back to what Jesus said Jesus said I abide in you you abide in me I abide in you first of all we have to remember that we are to abide in Christ. That's something we have to do. That's a decision we have to make. We have to decide to abide in Christ. That means we stay in touch with the spiritual disciplines. And that has to do with worship and prayer and Bible study and ministry and fasting and all of those disciplines of the Christian faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German martyr. He was hung by the Nazis in Flossenburg, April the 9th, 1945 when they took him out to go to the gallows. He turned to his friend and he said, "'This is the end, but for me, the beginning of life.' When he got to the gallows, he knelt down and prayed. There was a Nazi doctor standing there who was watching the whole thing, and he said, "'I have hardly ever seen anybody as submissive to God as Dietrich Bonhoeffer.'" And then if you happen to go to Charlotte, North Carolina and visit the Billy Graham crusade, you'll go through this little garden And it'll have Ruth Bell Graham tombstone there. And the words on that tombstone read like this. End of construction. Thanks for your patience. Do you see what Ruth Bell Graham was saying? She was simply saying that she saw life, her life in Christ, as a construction time. And we ourselves must also see it the same way. We must see life as being constructed in Christ. And then as we continue on, he said... Now I abide in you. What does that mean? That means being enabled and encouraged to be be in Christ. We make decisions. We make choices. But we don't have the power to carry out those choices. We are responsible for making these choices, but we don't have the ability to carry out it. So how do we do it? It's in Him. What was it that Paul said? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's allowing Christ to live in us and abide in us. Some writer said that the most strange of all sporting events is the demolition derby. He said when people get in those cars, they go around the track and they are intentionally trying to crash into each other. He said the winner is the car that keeps moving, the car that keeps moving. He said in the process, he learned that there are a lot of things about an automobile you don't have to have for the car to keep moving. You don't have to have hubcaps. You don't have to have doors or mirrors or hoods. But he said, there's one thing you have to have if that car is to keep moving. You've got to have an engine. You've got to have power. If you don't have power, you don't have movement. That's the way it is in the Christian life. We have to have power if we're going to have movement. So where does the power come from? The power is the living Christ who lives within us, the abiding Christ, the abiding Christ. And then there's one other thing here. We need to be aware of. And so the question is, why? Why all of this? The why is that God may be glorified in our lives, yours and mine, throughout the world. Now, the emphasis of John's Gospel, chapter 15, is that God may be glorified. Listen to this. Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Beloved, God hasn't put us here for mediocrity. God has put us here for an amazing fruitfulness. In other words, the purpose of life is to glorify God. I had a wedding this past weekend, and I made that statement. I said, the purpose, of God is to, the purpose of life is to glorify God. I also said, the purpose of marriage is to glorify God. And I thought of the ways that we glorify God in our marriage. One of those ways is by taking care of little things. Love is the most delicate flower that grows in the garden of a human heart. And it must be carefully cultivated. Take care of the little things. But let's go back to this for a minute. Christ in us. What is the outcome? The first outcome is the spirit of love. The spirit of love. The spirit of love. As a matter of fact, love is the greatest thing. So consequently, the fruit of the spirit is love. Love is the custodian of grace. Love is unreasonable. Love cares. It pays careful attention. Love forgives. Love gives all the time. The fruit of the Spirit is love. There was a man who had his wife in a hospital recently. She was very seriously ill. So he went to the chapel to worship on Sunday morning. There was not many people there in the chapel. But as he sat there, he suddenly noticed that a man behind him was having a much harder time than he was. So in the process of being in the chapel with this man, he just lovingly reached his hand behind his back and touched the other man's hand. What that did, that opened up communication, that opened up ministry following that service. So I say again, the fruit of the spirit is love. The second thing that Christ living in us will produce is meaningful prayer, meaningful prayer. I think Annie Lamont, was hitting on this when she titled her book something like Help, Thanks, and Wow. Repent. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean help. Help. And then you go on and you care. You care for other people. And then thanks. Gratitude. Gratitude becomes the whole order of a person's life. It begins in our heart and it works out in our witness. And then, wow, you know what prayer does? It gives me back my sense of humor. It gives me back my sense of humor. And then the third thing that Christ will produce in us is obedience. There were three peasants. They were walking down the road. And as they walked down the road, they saw a man lying there. The man looked healthy. They examined him. He was pretty robust. His coloring was good. He had on nice clothes. He seemed to be intellectual. He had a lot of things going for him. So they decided there was nothing wrong with him. And so they decided just to pick him up and let him walk down the road. So they picked him up and he fell back down. They picked him up three times and he kept falling back down. Finally they came to this conclusion. There's nothing wrong with him, but he won't stand up. That's the way it is with these barren branches in this story. Because they won't obey God, they are simply barren branches branches. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I ask you to do. Now let me ask you a question. How does the joy of Jesus come into a believer? It comes by transfusion. It's like an intravenous drip from the vine to the branches. God has much more in store for us. Much more in terms of love, in terms of joy, in terms of fruit. As I said at the beginning, it's very, very important to stay connected. Jesus said, abide in me as I abide in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Join me please now for prayer. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity we've had of gathering here tonight. We're thankful for this lesson. Even more, we're thankful for this truth, this truth that helps us to know that As Christ lives in us, we must allow him to live in us. Thank you again, O God, for all the blessings of this life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me tonight, and I pray that you will continue to be with us and share the program with your neighbors. We'll be very appreciative. God bless. Good night.